0: Uh, I would say it was definitely more uh, nuanced because like Diop, for instance, he he talks about in uh, pre-colonial black Africa, how the invasion, like the Islamic invasions happened in North Africa. But he says as far as going south of the Sahara Desert, that never happened. It's just like he calls it a figment of like sociologist imagination or something like that.
1: No math is with my motherfuckers ass. You wanna know how to rhyme? You better learn how to add it's mathematics. Mighty most depth. <laughs> it's simple mathematics. Check it out. I'll <laughs> revolve around science. What are we talking about here? Peace, peace, peace. It's Rocky with Wiser of Dome TV. Um, today I have a very special guest. Uh it's an MC. Um uh, researcher, a brother about his people and the liberation of all original people. Uh, Slank, I appreciate you for coming through, G. Well, thanks for having me on. Here. No doubt, no doubt, man. So um, I'd like to begin, like, well, what sparked you um uh, getting knowledge yourself? What what led you on your path?
0: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I would say just like, uh, I'm from Kentucky, so just growing up, uh, was, I experienced a lot of racism as a kid. And uh, also my dad's a lot older than me. He's born in the, the 40s. So he grew up in Jim Crow and just learning stuff from him. And uh, that made me aware of everything that was going on. And then after that, uh, when I was about 14, that's when I read Malcolm X's autobiography. And that really uh, opened me up to everything else and just got me studying more, reading a lot. And I eventually ended up majoring in African history in uh, in undergrad. And so just kept studying after that. How
1: how was your experience um, studying African history in undergrad? And where did you go to college? I went to the University of Notre
0: Dame in oh. but I mean, I had a positive experience because uh, I it held me up to a lot of things that I didn't learn in on my own or even high school at all. Like, uh, like for instance, like Patrice Lumumba, I, I learned about him when I was uh, when I was an undergrad, and from there I went and read a whole lot more about the Congo, about Lumumba, mm-hmm. and everything else. So.
1: For sure. Now, um, I want to ask you something. Do you uh, consider yourself Pan-African? Yeah, I would consider myself Pan-African. No doubt, no doubt. And so um, with that said, uh, the, you were just recently in a discussion um, uh Called do do Abrahamic religions compromise African uh, liberation? The other day, it was very um, very good uh, discussion between everybody. I I definitely enjoyed it and appreciated all the perspectives. Um, with it being um, the week of Malcolm X's birthday, um, I've seen some, and even on the uh, debate itself, where it was implied that Malcolm would have grown out of Islam if he would have uh, you know lived long enough. Um, what are your thoughts on that type of sentiment that says, you know, some of our uh heroes of the past um who may have been religious did what they did in spite of their religion and not necessarily inspired by their religion? Yeah, uh
0: yeah, like like you said, that was brought up in the in the discussion as well by some people. And uh there was like a lot a lot of things that were said that I didn't necessarily agree with, but that was definitely the one that uh one of the things that I definitely like for the like mainly didn't agree with was that uh, the implication that Malcolm would have like outgrown Islam or had he had more knowledge because I feel like it was implying that the people saying this felt that they were on like a higher uh, plane than Malcolm X and and yeah I just don't agree with that because it was a very huge part of his life and also his development Uh, if it wasn't for Islam we wouldn't know Malcolm X as Malcolm X because that's what uh, transformed and when he was in prison he became the person that we know him as and uh so yeah I just I totally disagree with the with that
1: sentiment right and and it's and if you look at who his his teacher was uh the most honorable Elijah Muhammad um his teachers cleans a, a lot of different people who have been in the spotlight and and it's it's safe to say that that's that's what his teachers did for people, you know what I mean? Um, especially during those times where, um, you know, there were a lot of, you know, we have civil unrest now, but the 60s was, was a special time, you know, where where a lot of different things were happening um, globally and and, uh, and domestically. And to see, you know, what um, Elijah Muhammad's teachers were doing uh, for people. Um, Malcolm was one of the many, you know what I mean? Um, he was, but he was obviously powerful in his own right. And um, you said before that you know his book helped uh, you know get you on the path to knowledge itself. Um, a lot of people are familiar, obviously, with uh, Malcolm's autobiography uh, written by Alex Haley. Um, but there are a lot of dope books um, that have been written about Malcolm. And for those who you know want to study Malcolm more, um, do you recommend any other books about Malcolm's life?
0: Oh, definitely. Uh... I got some over here. I would definitely recommend Malcolm X Speaks. This mm-hmm. one right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a collection of his speeches and whatnot. Uh, but it, it shows there's so much material in here. Some of his most famous speeches like Messages of the Grassroots and whatnot's in there. Right. Uh, this one right here is called Malcolm X on Afro-American History. That one also, uh, that has more of a focus on African like his takes on Africa and whatnot. Okay. Now, I like that one a lot because there's a quote on the back. He says, uh, when we send our children to school, they learn nothing about us other than that we used to be cotton pickers. While your grandfather was Nat Turner, your grandfather was Tucson Overture, your grandfather was Hannibal. And he's Mm -hmm. just talking about how like, and he mentioned Hannibal, he's showing that like, our history is much further than just, you know, enslavement in America. and everything. So I, I like that one a
1: lot too. Yeah, yeah. And that that reminds me of like uh, how a lot of you know people within the Eidos movement sound like uh I mean they speak it they speak from a perspective of our history and our identity being defined here in America. And I mean I know you I know you've seen some of those uh, you know comments and a lot of from the Eidos movement. What are your thoughts on it, man? Uh. Completely disagree with them. I, the, a lot of their takes are really
0: confused to me. Uh, I think they're lost. A lot of them, because because uh, like the fight for reparations, you know, every, we, everybody supports that. Like, well, not everybody, but you know, what I'm saying, yeah. like, within that, uh, within like the Black movement, it, various types of uh, ideology support reparations. But when you link it to like trying to claim America and uh. Trying to distance yourself from other Africans and stuff that's not any that's not the way to go about it at all like uh if anything we should try to be getting closer to uh Africans in the diaspora and on the continent and whatnot not a uh, like alienating ourselves and uh and yeah they go against a lot of what Malcolm like <laughs> like pretty much you can find a Malcolm X quote to like <laughs> go against anything the AD, uh, ADOS uh People say, uh, uh, yeah.
1: and it's funny though. You say that because I've seen them cherry pick certain Malcolm quotes. Yeah, I mean. it sound like he is agreeing with something they said, but they won't post the whole quote though. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've even seen I've seen a whole lot of people take Malcolm and use
0: him for all kind of different mm-hmm. ideological things they're trying to do. With but I would say if, if you read like Malcolm X speaks or whatever, you mm-hmm. get a pretty clear understanding of like. What he was on, like you know, what I'm
1: saying? yeah, indeed, and and you know, uh, back not to harp on the ADO, ados point, but there's also a, a book. Um, it's called uh, the Diary of I believe I believe the Diary of Malcolm X, 1964, and it um, it talked, it. It's each chapter is about uh, is him um, like w- like whenever he went to London, whenever he went to Ghana, you know, and and like Malcolm was showing and proving that he had a global mind state when it comes to the liberation of black people you know what I mean and it it wasn't just um a domestic thing with him you know what I mean because and 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 we look now like I, I feel um like like even with what's going on in Palestine right like um imperial U.S. imperialism affects the entire world um and imperialism and racism and white supremacy go hand in hand. And to think that uh we'll be able to get a reparations check, right? And think that everything is over and then start living our lives within a, a capitalistic society, like everything is fine, like to me, I don't see the logic in it. Is it is one of his main
0: points is that revolutions about land too mm-hmm. and uh and, like, if ADOS, if you're just trying to be part of American society, that's not really, like, getting, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure on their exact position on the land thing, but uh, I don't think it's, I, I've seen ADOS make fun of, like, the Republic of New Africa or, like, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, so I don't know what where they're coming from. But
1: <laughs> Me either, bro. Um, um I did want to, uh, speaking of, um Pan Africanism. A lot of things. I I've had discussions online with a lot of people, and I think a lot are confused of what Pan Africanism truly is. Um, What does Pan African mean to you? If somebody were, you know, like slang, I I want to study my people. I want to study my history. I want, and I also want to get active. I want to have a political ideology that's, you know, in tune with um, our liberation. what is pan? Can you tell me what pan Africanism is? Like, what, what would be your response? Yeah, i
0: if I would define it the way, uh, that like Kwame Ture, Kwame Nkrumah, Sekou Ture, uh, how they def, uh, define the kind of like the total unification and liberation of the African continent under scientific socialism.
2: Mm.
0: And even going further than that, there's a really good uh speech by Kwame Ture from 1971, mm-hmm. and it was like Whittier College in California, it's online, it's like American radio, I forget the exact uh, URL, but I can send it to you. Okay. Yeah. He basically outlines his concept of Pan-Africanism and calls himself an Nkrumah, talking about Kwame Nkrumah and how he kind of patterns himself on the uh, conscience, uh, con- uh how he, that's hard words, but yeah, that kind of ideology of uh, He breaks it down as it has, like, the ideology has to be about race, class, lands, and it has to be revolutionary and based on dialectics, which is, like, uh, the law of opposites and, Mm -hmm. like, uh, the correct interpretation of history. So it's got to be a scientific ideology that's based on Pan-Africanism, Pan pan meaning all, so, like, all Africans, and uh, trying to get all Africans united on the same page so we can, uh, you know, combat... Uh, Western imperialism and all the forces that trying to divide Africa and they have divided Africa.
1: Yeah, that's um, great, great answer, bro. And I mean, yeah. And so I, I think one thing about that quote that stood out to me is uh, the use of the word scientific socialism, right, as opposed to utopian um, socialism, where we feel like we will vote and vote our way out of oppression or or you know, uh, white supremacy will, will just begin to change. And I haven't seen any evidence of that. So, you know what I'm saying? I, I do understand. And and so whenever we, um, that kind of leads me to this question as well. So being Pan-African, are you, um, are you, do you feel like socialism is the ultimate goal of society? Uh, I mean, yeah,
0: because I, I define socialism as like when the masses uh, own and control the means of production or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like control their own resources and everything like that versus capitalism, the other economic system is when just a few people own and control the means of production. So yeah, I would say, because even if you have political independence, if you still have, like we see today all over Africa, with like a lot of these neo-colonial leaders and stuff, they're still, they're still economically selling out their people for uh for their own benefit and for to the West, you know what I'm saying? So uh I definitely think socialism is important because capitalism is what divided Africa. So I feel like you have to do the antithesis to
1: Right. Yeah it is like you know even um yeah and so I wanna kinda touch on that. And so do you feel like we can ever be free and live and truly liberated within a capitalist society reason I and and now I'll, I'll give you some context reason I asked is I right now I'm currently reading a book um I don't have it in here but uh it's uh by uh Frank Chapman it's uh called Marxist Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and um Socialism and you know it talks about different people um from Frederick Douglass to Hubert Harrison to W.E.B. Du Bois who at times expressed, um, socialist ideas, and, uh, you know, on the other hand, you have Marcus Garvey, who, um, clearly had, you know, capitalist ideas while he was in, um, America, and so do you feel like now we have, you know, we, we, we have rich Black people in America and throughout the, throughout the country, but, um, that's not necessarily a reflective of, the the whole you know what I mean um, do you feel like uh, that we can truly be liberated under capitalism like uh, is that capitalism the answer no I, I
0: don't feel like black capitalism the answer at all and I don't feel like we can fully get liberation like you, you can have a strata of the, uh of black people that that get you know a little bit higher or whatever but that's at the expense of uh, the masses and uh, what's his name? Robert L. Allen. I think. It, I think it's yeah. He had a Black Awakening in Capitalist America. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book that was uh, talking about how, toward like the late '60s, once like the Black Power revolts and things started happening in all kind of different cities, uh, how like the white power structure kind of they they had a they they re they they, uh, they like changed their strategy basically mm-hmm. and started putting money and investing in black capitalist initiatives, like uh, like Richard Nixon was really influential in pushing black capitalism. And he was, uh, that was like the Ford Foundation was uh, pumping money into organizations like CORE to try to divert them from a more revolutionary perspective to a, a more uh, black capitalist perspective. Because that the black capitalist perspective didn't really challenge the host, the status quo in the system. It was seeking more to, to get into it than uh, than try to change it. Or, Rebuild it or anything
1: like that. Agreed. What was the name of that book again? Uh, I got it
0: right here. Black Awakening in a Capitalist
1: America. Well, yeah, yeah, I've been, I actually had that in one of my lists somewhere. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely uh, definitely gonna cop that. And so um, with, you know, speaking of like imperialism, and, and like just US imperialism and Western imperialism, we see what's going on in Palestine and the continued Nakba uh, of the people. Um, and for those who don't know what Zionism is, uh, would you be able to ex- kind of explain what Zionism is politically? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> so like the main thing is
0: you gotta like distinguish it from Judaism because what they try to do is they try to link the two together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zionism, because Judaism is an ancient religion, you know what I'm saying, it comes from Africa. Uh, there's books on that too, about how the origins of Judaism come out of Africa. But uh, Zionism is totally different, it comes from Europe. 1897 was like the first Zionist conference for a dude named Theodore Herschel. He, uh, basically it's the philosophy that underpins like the state of Israel. It's the idea that God gave them this land and, uh, so they have the right to go in there and take it from whoever was there. And from early on, Theodore Herschel, the, who's seen as the father of Zionism at that first conference, he, uh, he tried to link himself to imperialism. So like, I got a book uh, I was reading the other day. I just started it. It's called The Zionist Connection mm. by uh, Alfred M. Lillenthal. And he talks about how, I just think the other day, originally Theodore Herschel went to Germany he went to the Ottoman Empire asking, yo, I got I got this plan uh, to set up this uh, national homes, uh, state of Israel or whatever, in Palestine. And they weren't feeling it. So he, he eventually went over to the British and uh, <clears throat> they agreed to, to do that. And they wrote a Balfour Declaration. It was like mm-hmm. a British politician, Lord Balfour in 1917. Uh, Britain basically, after the, the first World War, uh, World War, the Ottoman Empire's different colonies or whatever got split up. Uh, Britain was colonizing Palestine after that, so they say, "Yeah, we'll give we'll give Palestine to the Zionists because uh, because it, it advantages them too, because mm-hmm. then they have a friendly." Uh, the, theodore Herschel, this is a European Jewish man, like it's ain't like a Ethiopian or like a Middle Eastern and nothing like that. So this gives Britain a friendly white home base in the Middle East and now America too, because America pretty much, you know. Wow. Proposed that whole thing to, to do all their, and as Malcolm said, it gives them the base to divide the Africa and Asia and so dissension in the Arab world and all that. So,
1: yeah. And that's um, interesting that you said this. So Theodore Herzl in 18, you said 1897 had the first Zionist conference, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny because media tries to give the impression that, uh, the reason, like the Israel being, uh, well, displacing the people of, you know, uh, Palestine or the Palestinians was due to, uh, you know, World War II and, and, you know, what happened, Um, With Hitler and and the Jews there, and then meeting at home, right? And they don't speak of it as if it was, if it had beginnings that are older than that. You know what I mean? Um, Think about that too. Before the
0: first, before the Second World War, most Jewish people in the world were not on board with Zionism. That wasn't a popular Mm. uh, outlook. Like that was only like a handful of like bourgeois uh, Jewish people trying to push this. And it was after the Second World War or like during it that they kind of use this as a justification because part of the foundation of Zionism is we're inherently different as Jewish people, they would say, and like, we'll never be able to live in peace anywhere but in our own state.
2: Right. And
0: that's the same thing that like the Nazis were saying, y'all are inherently different is what mm. they were telling the Jewish people. You can't live, up, like, you know what I'm saying? So they kind of, they kind of balance with each other, honestly, like fascism, fascist ideologies and Zionism because at the heart, it's, it's also a, a imperialist, you know, project.
1: Yeah, and and it's how much of it is like so? Okay, it gives they give the idea that this is about religion, and this was the land of their forefathers of uh, you know Isaac and and you know and and uh, the uh, the. 12 tribes of Jacob. And you know what I mean? And that whole um that whole story, they give it's it, but it it's is that just a front? You know what I mean? As far like does Zionism use religion as a front to justify the things that they do over there in the Middle East?
0: Yeah, I would say absolutely, because that's what they try to do is link this ancient African religion that has nothing to do with, you know, it's not a like, yeah. They link this ancient African religion with this modern European philosophy, and uh, to try to justify it. So they try to, uh, yeah, they, they try to like use religion. But like, there's a whole lot of anti-Zionist, uh, like like real religious Jewish people that are against Zionism and stuff because they see it as uh, a perversion of the faith and everything. So mm-hmm. they definitely try to link it up that way. It makes it harder to criticize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk negative about Israel. They try to label you anti-Semitic. Right. right.
1: But you, but you brought up a good point the other day. Like, how are the Palestinians not Semitic? How is it, what what ha- happened to them? How is that not anti-Semitic as well? Or does that only apply to quote unquote white Semites?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because there's uh, there's people in Ethiopia is the Semitic. The, mm-hmm. and that, that's like another point. Like about like Semitic languages, they branch. That's an Afro-Asiatic language group. There's Arabic, uh, Hebrew. Amharic, there's a number of them that span like East Africa, North Africa, uh, the little uh, West Asia area. So, yeah, like the fact that people who are from Europe is like saying you're anti Semitic for calling them out for killing Semites is kind of like there's some crazy
1: uh,
0: <laughs> word <Warner> games, <laughs> yeah.
1: but it, but the the cold part about it is that it it insulates them from any type of criticism because mm-hmm. anytime anybody, um, uh, especially people that, you know, uh, let's say a politician or a celebrity or somebody that has a, a really big platform, um, speaking out about Palestine c- or can cost you your job. I mean, about Israel can cost you your job and they'll, and they'll call you, you know, anti-Semitic and it'll stick. Um, you know, like we've even seen with, um, you know, like on social media, how they, you know, de uh, platform Farrakhan whenever he spoke on Israel. And it's funny because th- I just thought about that, like, you know, things that he said maybe a year ago, I think during one of those Savior's Day speeches, I mean, we see them really acting it and living it out. You know what I mean? Right now in Palestine.
0: No, definitely. There was a, I remember back in 2014, Israel had like a war uh, that was just massacring like Palestinians back then too and uh Dwight Howard put out a tweet like I stand uh, like I don't want to see the suffering in Palestine something like yeah just something real basic like I don't like children getting bombed or something right right and then like an hour later he had to put up an apology tweet for uh for expressing like humanity you know what I'm saying like that's crazy just because uh how how linked they try to make these two things were like him just saying like I don't like this violence of little kids and stuff against little kids turns into all your anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. You got to delete that tweet and issue a retracted. Right. Have,
1: have you noticed now, though, like uh, with, uh, I mean, even from everybody from Joe Biden to a lot of celebrities who have spoke at, spoken out now how they'll say it'll, the like, they're real careful with their words and they'll say things as if, um, as if, that you know, we want both sides to come to a peaceful resolution, right? And what I and what I noticed is, first off, that's bull because you can't ask um people who are being oppressed and displaced to not fight back and not protect themselves. That's the exactly. you know first law of nature is self-preservation. But one thing that I noticed, and I want I you know just want you to speak on this as well. But one thing that I noticed is that. The way media and, poli- and politicians in America frame what's happening in Palestine is that uh, they never mention the oppression and the uh, displacement of Palestinians as the initial act of violence. So what they do is they'll say Hamas is doing this or doing that, and that'll be the first act of violence And Israel has every right to respond. Is that something that you've noticed?
0: Yeah, just even with the whole history and the whole framing of the story, like that's that's like the main thing. Whenever you look at like any kind of situation, you got to get you got to go to the like as far back as you can find, like history history wise, and see how this became what it is. And if you go back even before forty eight, there was a Palestinians being displaced, like. uh, I forget the exact number, but there was a lot of Palestinians that were displaced even before 48, because there was migration. Like I said, like Herschel, mm-hmm. he had been on this Zionist plan and everything since the 1890s. So there have been small colonizations and like little movements of uh, Jewish people coming in. But by 48, they literally just came in and like. Just, that's when, like, like, that's when it displaced like a million, right? Yeah. Yeah, like over seven hundred fifty thousand or something. They was putting dynamite on houses. There's, there's a book. Uh, this one, Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine.
1: Wow. Uh, yeah, I wanted to get that too. Um, I just read uh, Marlamont Hills. It was pretty decent. It was, it was pretty kind of small, but I mean, it kind of outlined it, but it didn't go into great detail.
0: Yeah. Th- this one, I haven't read that one, but this this one definitely just the it goes to like almost all the villages and how they took them, and it's all terrorism. So. Just going from the beginning to say, like, oh, Israel is just defending itself. That's crazy because how did they get there? You know what I'm saying? That was Israel before 48. So, like, you got to look at the whole thing uh, to really see what's going on Mm. and see how the media is just picking sides based on the interests of, uh, you know, U.S., politics and all that kind of stuff yeah and imperialism
1: and like and so when we see but isn't that evidence like whenever we see somebody like joe biden as president who they said was you know the very different from trump um but whenever but we'll see uh you know joe biden say that i i fully support israel isn't that kind of evidence that like as far as politics goes when it comes to U.S. imperialism, racism, and white supremacy, they're all they're all going to be on board with
0: it. Yeah, it's just it's just infight. Two teams like I think uh, Julius Nyeri used to say that America said they got two parties, but it's just you know one party basically, and mm-hmm. uh, is it's just infighting between different sections of the ruling class. Right,
1: uh, right.
0: And and as far as the American ruling class goes, they are all in lockstep together on supporting like Zionism. So like, whether it's Trump, who people are saying was like the worst or Biden, who people are like, oh, he's the lesser evil. They both are like hardcore pro-Israel all the way. Like uh, Joe Biden gave the eulogy at a, what's his name? One of, the, one of the old Palestinian prime ministers. And like when Joe Biden was vice president, he went and gave the eulogy in Israel. And this guy was known for like, uh, I think it was Ariel Sharon. I want to mm-hmm. say it might, it might be somebody else. So I might be wrong. Okay. But whoever the guy who we gave the prime minister he gave to you yeah, he this guy was known for like hoarding, breaking Palestinian bones and like uh, he was known for massacres. And you know what uh, I'm saying? So, like, but these are the people that get humanized, mm-hmm. like lifted up by the West, no matter if it's Democrat, Republican, whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's all like the same. I, did, I saw a video the other day that where Biden literally said when um back earlier in his political uh career before he became president and vice president. But well, he 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 it was a speech of him saying, hey, if there was no Israel, it would be our duty to create an Israel. And yes, it's yes, like, man. damn, I mean <laughs> I mean he said it out of his own mouth, you know,
0: and that's uh, straight up just like <laughs> they serve our interests
1: over here. So we need them, you know, that's mm-hmm. you didn't even hide it. Yeah. Now, do the um, like some of the, those books about Palestine that you've um, that you've read, do they speak about what the American interest is over there and why we are like you know why we spend so much money like billions of dollars annually um, and you know for military supplies and infrastructure like why we spend so much money over there? Uh,
0: I mean, it's that's like a jump off base for us to do, especially. In the last 20 or so years with all the different mm-hmm. wars we have been uh now we america's been starting over in the middle east and whatnot <clears throat> it's like a perfect strategic location you know what i'm saying to like malcolm says so division between africa and asia and uh mm-hmm. like there's another book yeah this one so like this is a perfect illustration of it this book's called uh, it's no secret it's like israel's involvement in Central uh-huh. America or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Basically in like the, in the eighties, during the Reagan era, down in Guatemala and a, a lot of different countries in Central America, there was gross like human rights abuses. Like they was genociding uh, the, the Guatemalan generals, a lot of them trained by America, it was down there genociding uh, native people, mostly Maya indigenous people, mm-hmm. because they saw them as like prone to like, uh, Communism and like revolution and all that, so that was like evil and like mm-hmm. anti-Christian. They said because these were, mm-hmm. a lot of these people were uh, like fundamentalist Christians. A lot of the Maya in- indigenous people was mixed, like Catholicism mixed with indigenous religions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So they was demonizing them, and uh, it talks about in this book how in like the eighties the Congress started cracking down on who America was funding because they were like, yo, there's all these. It was like genocide going on in Guatemala and we, we see that America we're sending all this money to them all these weapons we got to stop this so Congress put a stop to it but what America did was they said let's just increase the uh, the, the money we send to Israel and just have Israel send them the weapons and everything so Israel was sending Uzis and Galil <laughs> rifles and you know what I'm saying because they have an arms industry too in Israel it's pretty substantial mm-hmm. and uh so that when America can't send weapons to a, a regime that we like somewhere in the world, that's helping us extract, uh, helping America take out the resources from them. They just sent Israel to like, you know, play the
1: proxy. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes that, I mean, obviously that makes perfect sense. Um. I, now, I've historically, we've had everybody from um, Malcolm, uh, Huey P, um, um uh, you know uh james Baldwin, um we've had uh you know black people speak out on what's happening over there right and then you know um uh, within the pan african community or conscious community um we have different thoughts on different things at times right and i see some um say you know that doesn't have anything to do with us over there um and you know we should just mind our business. Some also say, "Hey, they've never done anything for us," which is not necessarily true, because um, I've, you know, when I, I've researched things to where even here domestically, there have been Palestinian organizations that have donated to donated real money to um, you know organizations uh, for Black people and our liberation. Um, And, you know, even whenever uh, during the protest for George Floyd, um, you know, they were on Twitter telling uh, black protesters um, how to avoid being pepper sprayed. And if you're pepper sprayed, what to do? You know what I mean? And we see murals over there of George Floyd, by the way. But um, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, people that say, hey, uh, you know, it's not our business, you know, we should just concentrate on us and what we got going on?
0: Uh, I mean <clears throat> I disagree with that because like, like I was saying a minute ago whenever America us whenever u.s imperialism wants to do something but they don't want to like do it themselves basically they get israel to do it and so if you look at all the the backwards uh regimes that we have had in Africa in the 20th 21st century like Mobutu in uh in the Congo he was backed by Israel if you look at uh, wow if you look at uh, e- Ethiopia under uh, Selassie, he was he had a lot of backing from Britain, the U.S., and Israel, and, uh, and going to the point of Palestinians, like reaching out to uh, Africans to help us and everything. In, uh, in Ethiopia in the late 60s, early 70s, the Palestinian liber- Liberation Organizations was training Ethiopian revolutionaries to try to overthrow that regime because they seen that America and Israel was backing the same regime, Ethiopia. So it's all like a. Wow, link. So
1: the PLO was in Ethiopia training soldiers there to what overthrow Selassie? Yeah, I got the. Wow, I didn't know that. You know,
0: it's in this book right here. What what's that? It's called Like Ho Chi like like uh, Che Guevara. It's about Ethiopian left wow. by Ian Scott. Yeah, I need that. I need that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I forget. I forget what. Uh, I forget what page. I ain't gonna try to find it right now. But yeah, sure. it, it had it had a section there was talking about how the PFLP, uh, I think there was another one, the, the DFLP or something like that, and Fata, uh, Yasser Arafat's group. They was training Ethiopian revolutionaries in Syria, uh, in places like that, to go back into Ethiopia, uh, and like you know what I'm saying. So. There's definitely even been like like that was material like concrete support right there, but there's been like you said, uh, there's Euros and you know about George Floyd. There's there's definitely a, a, a pretty good history of, like back and forth collaboration, uh, yeah. On that.
1: And yeah, and like and you know if it was important enough for brothers like Malcolm James Baldwin, um, the Black Panther Party, I think. Is something that we should always pay attention to as well. You know what I mean. I will say this though, in researching our history as well, the history of of black thought on on um, Palestinian occupation, you know, and you just had a debate on do Abrahamic religions compromise African liberation. I have seen evidence that. You know um people uh well christian uh leadership um including martin luther king were pro-israel and i guess it was due to the fact that they were being funded or or they knew that they could be cut off at any time um uh, that's what happened to snake yeah is that what what you think it is Is that was is that the reason why that a lot of them were pro-israel is because they could be silenced or cut off um, if they showed support for Palestine?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that. And uh, and also, I feel like it probably wasn't as out there back then, because, like, Stokely Carmichael, he, he says in his, uh, his autobiography, I'm pretty sure, that, like, at one point he had, maybe it was a speech he had, but he says, like, at one point he thought, like, I don't know if he said he was pro Israel, but he wasn't like he wasn't anti-Zionist and all that. He didn't really know. And mm-hmm. then it was uh, Ethel Meyer Ethel Miner and Snick wrote the position paper in like uh, '67, I think they put out a. Yeah, it was in
1: '67. Snick had a it had a newsletter. I, I have it somewhere, but yeah, where they actually out it's like 25 points where they outline what Zionism actually is.
0: Yeah, and that's that's when uh, and and uh, there's another book. Uh, yes, it's called Black Liberation and Palestine Solidarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lenny Brenner and Matthew Quest, but it talks about here about the Martin Luther King issue. It, it acknowledges that he has some, like, you know, pro Israel sentiments and everything. And uh, but one of the main points it made was that had like basically the relationship between apartheid South Africa and Israel. Became very strong, but that was not. I don't. I don't know if they had an alliance like that mm-hmm. in like 1965 to 68. Mm-hmm. But uh, by like 76, for instance, you had Vorster, who was the the prime minister. I think it was. It was Burley, I don't remember one of one of them. V South African board apartheid dudes. Mm-hmm. They went up to uh, Israel and got like the red carpet treatment. And this wow. dude who went up there had been a Nazi. During World War Two, he had been a Nazi sympathizer, so the British put him in prison in South Africa as a Nazi supporter, and then Israel by '76 they're welcoming him. You know what I'm saying, like because uh, they saw themselves as similar, even back then, two apartheid states. Like they saw themselves as being settlers, criminal settler, co- uh, settler, co- yeah, settler colonies. Exactly. So, like, uh, but yeah. So,
1: yeah. What, that kind of that brings up something else that you were um, building about, man. Hella inter- interesting. Um, and you posted a thread the other day about Zionist collaboration with Nazis, right? And just to even think about, um, I mean, saying that in a sentence doesn't, you know, like it sounds like an oxymoron, you know, and. Um, we were building earlier about, like you said, how 1890s is when Zionism actually became a thing, and so that kind of um, that kind of shows and proves that if they did collaborate with Nazis, then it it's not about religion; it's definitely a political thing. You know what I mean? And religion is just used as justification for what they. Uh, do over there. But if you can, get, just give us a brief history of some of that Zionist um, collaboration with the Nazis. Because I, I think a lot of people don't really understand or know about that. Mm-hmm. I posted it today on it. It's called like uh, 51
0: Documents, Zionist Collaboration with Nazis. Appreciate <laughs> <sure. But>,
2: uh,
0: <laughs> uh <clears throat> Like I was saying earlier, like before uh, the Second World War, the majority of like Jewish people in the world weren't on board with zionism they they saw it as you know for what it is like some kind of like ultra-nationalist like mm-hmm. not not had had nothing to do with judaism like some kind of weird new ideology whatever but uh <clears throat> what got a lot of uh, basically there was Zion, certain zionists especially zionist revisionists which was led by a dude name named like uh, jabotinsky or something like that mm-hmm. who, yeah uh that was in that thread i posted today but their whole thing was trying to ally with the the nazis or the fascist Italy because they saw them as like also nationalist movements that also acknowledged the inherent difference of the Jewish people you know what I mean so like they could use Hitler and say look we're being persecuted in Europe we gotta go so you better move on to Israel you know what I'm saying like when that that's not necessarily like the solution that are like the to that kind of persecution and stuff but uh so yeah there was a uh, arrangements between Adolf Eichmann who was like the main uh mastermind behind the final solution like the plan to just try to like genocide uh, Jewish people he was in collaboration with a dude named Kastner I think his name was
2: mm-hmm.
0: at a uh, at a Hungary and basically the Zionists uh under this Kastner guy were sending they was like, if we send y'all some trucks, will y'all uh, let us take out like twenty thousand Jewish people? Y'all was gonna exterminate, but we only want like the young ones that we can, you know, make use of. We don't really care about the the poor, you know. It was real, like sick, mm. like just like trading their people off for like trucks and shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And only wanting to save the certain ones that they felt would be uh, viable to build up uh, the settler state in Palestine. Damn, what's that book called again? It's a fifty-one documents Zionist collaboration with the Nazis by Lenny Brenner.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who's okay. a, he, he's the same dude that wrote this this one right here. Oh, okay. He, okay, he's a Jewish dude, but he's anti-Zionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was friends with Kwame Ture, so oh, that's I, I got put on a lot of this was through listening to different speeches by him and stuff. Yeah, that's
1: that's dope. Yeah, because I have seen. Some uh, certain people in the Jewish community come out and speak out against what's happening over over there. And um, this last thing, one thing I saw, it was it was ill. I saw it this morning. Um, it was a picture of uh, uh, a Jewish person over there in Palestine fighting with the um, with the, an assault rifle, right? "Quote unquote," fighting for his home. But the fact of the matter is. The dude was from New York. He was a Jew from New York and um, had just started living there like two years ago. But, you know, feel like he has more rights than the people that have been displaced. I mean, that's a sickness, bro. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, I've seen, there was like a, some, some video on like Vice News a long time ago, like mm-hmm. five years ago or something. I remember there was a similar thing where there was this, uh, this white dude over in Israel. Uh, yeah he was over and he was talking about how like this is his land but he had like a thick New York accent like (laughs) he looked like he was just straight like from New York and he's talking about this is my land blah 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 but then like a Palestinian like so you can be a Jewish person from New York never been over but you can just go whenever you want steal a house claim it but if you're a Palestinian person that who's like let's say you're like an elderly Palestinian person kicked out was raised born there they can't go back but you mm. as like a new yorker you know that don't, make, that don't make no sense like
1: yeah you gotta have a past to even get into certain places within the land yeah. your forefathers um you know were from it, it's crazy um i want to um i, I want to move the conversation to another uh topic that i saw you building on before the uh the debate um uh, that you had um and you were building on, uh, you had a critique of Chancellor Williams' work, um, The Destruction of Black Civilization. I think it's something that, you know, most of us have read, um, once we, once we, you know, uh, start on that path to consciousness. Um, hold on one second. And so, yeah, you were building on, um, a critique of, uh, Chancellor Williams. And it, like I said, it's something that I feel like most of us who got on that path have read, um, and I'm, one, I'm not, so I don't take it as disrespect if we correct um, those who came before us on certain topics. Because in a lot of cases, they didn't have the information available that we had, right? Um, and so I don't take a lot of things as disrespect when it comes to correcting information. I know some do. But you know, just for those who watch, and this isn't about you know um, any type of disrespect of those who came before us, but it is our job and our duty to um, you know uh, critique all information that we get to make sure it's right and exact. So, from your research, um, what did uh, Chancellor Williams get wrong in um, in the uh, destruction of Black civilization? Yeah. So
0: <clears throat>
1: I think originally I
0: was put on to some of the issues with the, like, even just reading it, mm-hmm. like some things didn't sound like, there's a lot of good information in the book. Some things just, especially when it came to the subject of Islam,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I it just didn't sound right to me. Like, even before I had his, like more knowledge on it, mm-hmm. and there was a dude on Twitter named, uh, I think his name was Hakeem Bahami, mm-hmm. I think that's his name, mm-hmm. but he was uh, sharing a lot of information on, specific thing I, that I remember he, he put me up on was, if you go to, like, the intro of Chancellor Williams' book, he talks about how his uh, his field research was arranged by the U.S. State Department, and like that right there, like. All right, so he said his. Is,
1: right, if you can repeat that one more time.
0: In the in the intro, he says that his field research was arranged by the U.S. State Department, and uh, and like when I seen when the dude was pointing this out on Twitter, it did sound, kind of seem odd that the U.S. State Department, especially in the time period. Of like you know 60s early 70s i think the book came out in 74. Mm -hmm. uh why they would be interested in you know uh Mm -hmm. getting information on destruction of black civilization Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know it it seemed to me that the main issue was just his takes on islam as this foreign uh religion that came in and destroyed black civilization Mm -hmm. and that uh was nothing but like a slave trade religion Mm -hmm. and uh of the white era, he'll say, you know, stuff like that. And just getting more information on uh, the history of Islam in Africa, I, I don't see it as a destructive, like negative force at all. I, some of like the greatest civilization in Africa was uh, was Islamic civilizations or whatnot. And going further than that, I, I see Islam itself as being an African product. I don't see it as like a foreign uh, import because it's like Charles Finch, Ali Missouri go over the Middle East. Technically it's like Africa's Northeast extension, but, you know, like geologically, language-wise, everything. And uh, what, book, what I
1: didn't mean to cut you off, J, but what do you um, what are, what are your thoughts on like why all right? So the narrative that Islam was um, the narrative that Islam was uh, something that uh was imposed on all African societies that practiced it um like with the sword is is that something that you bear witness to or do you feel like from your research that as far as um some uh you know societies that dealt with Islam you know such maybe Mali um the Mali Empire do you feel like Um, Islam was imposed on our ancestors uh, strictly through the sword and nothing else, or was it more nuanced than that?
0: Uh, I would say it was definitely more uh, nuanced because, like, Diop, for instance, he he talks about in uh, pre-colonial Black Africa how the invasion, like the Islamic invasions happened in North Africa, but he says as far as going south of the Sahara Desert, that never happened. It's just like, he calls it a figment of like sociologists' imagination or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically the way Islam spread and, and Du Bois attested this, like Basil Davidson, like a lot of there's Count Edward Glyden, mm-hmm. uh, they attested this, that Islam spread through the majority of Africa peacefully through like either merchants, like or or a, a, like a holy man would wander down you know what I'm saying and then they would convert maybe like a king or somebody else and then that then for the most part Islam was spread by other Africans after those initial uh, encounters within like places like West Africa, uh, East Africa things like that and uh, but yeah like this is the book that I was posting from mainly yeah, on I
1: saw that I had never se- <laughs> I had never seen that before um, at first uh, who who wrote that? Just by uh, Amin Yasir, Muhammad. Mm. Uh, okay, and he's uh, and he's kind of making the case that uh, Islam was not take was not uh, uh, completely given to us with the sword, and it, it was of our our own volition. Yeah,
0: it, and he basically <clears throat> he, he lays the case out that uh, like he he lays out basically like what Chancellor Williams is arguing for the mm-hmm. most part regarding Islam, and then he lays out other scholars uh, that say <clears throat> things that don't really fit with that, like, like uh, Diab, uh, Du Bois, J.A. Rogers, uh, Basil Davidson, Ivan Van Uh he, I mean, there's a lot of people he quotes in here. And then he just goes into some of the background on like, I like think about the State Department and things like that, and why possibly the State Department will have a motivation uh, or why this, Like what the motivation would be too, because if you look at the time period, the early 70s, there was a whole Arab-Israeli war, there was a whole oil embargo. Uh, Edward Said talks about in his book Orientalism, how anti-Arab propaganda, anytime there's like a war like that, especially nowadays, the war on terror too is still relevant, Uh, how that kind of feeds in, how like, yeah, basically how this kind of would feed into that. And not only that, but how, in my personal opinion, how it's geared toward Black people to try to divide You know, a divide and conquer type of strategy, like the same stuff Malcolm X talked about with Israel and everything else. Just uh, because Malcolm also was real big on internationalism, and Mm -hmm. uh, not even just Africa, but with like Vietnam, like Mm -hmm. Arab world, everything. So, I feel like a book that kind of tries to uh, say that the Islam has had the same negative impact as like Europeans did in Africa and Christianity did is like. I don't agree with that. I feel like European uh, systems were way more detrimental to Africa than. It
1: did. Yeah, and one one thing. Uh, so this book here, mid um, uh, Medi- uh, Medi- medieval West Africa, is a dope book, um, and it's and it's actually so it's it's medieval Arab scholars or I mean merchants and travelers. Um, in the documents that they wrote down whenever they actually uh, came to these West African kingdoms that were, um, and so most of these West African kingdoms that they came across were Islamic. But the interesting thing that I see, like in that book is um, they, they said that we weren't quote unquote true Muslims, but it wasn't because we were black. It's because we practiced it the way we wanted to practice it. Which tells me, if you look at our history in America, um, with noble Drew Ali and the more science people of America, Elijah Muhammad and Nation of Islam, like that's what we do. We practice. we 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 practice it in a way that is works for us. You know what I'm saying? And that's what they did then, which kind of lets me know that if it was, if it was. You know, if everything if was from the sword, then you know why are they still have? Why do they still have these African customs? Because they didn't give up their African customs. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of these medieval, medieval kingdoms didn't give up their African customs at all. A lot of times, even whenever they became Muslim, they weren't taking the Shahada. They just it was just something that they did or said. You know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, if you haven't read that, I, I definitely think that you would enjoy that because you can kind of see you can kind of see it from their own words that hey you know they were still they were powerful nations and they were doing what they wanted to do and the way they practiced islam wasn't necessarily the same way that the arab did yeah, i'm
0: gonna have to get that is that this probably has like even batuda and stuff in it
1: yeah and it's written by Nahemia Letsian. he's a he's uh kind of one of, uh, he's one of the authorities, in my opinion, on uh, medieval West Africa, Islam in West Africa, so it's pretty dope, but yeah, and so uh, that's a, that's a, that's, I think that's a a powerful topic, just because, you know, within the Pan-African community, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, debate, and it's been for a while, you know, is, um, um, you know. Islam, uh, you know, have a negative impact on our community, and and in um, in America, I don't see I don't see a case being made for that because, you know, just the different nations that were created, <clears throat> um, you know, like I said, such as the nation of Islam, more scientific of America, and then we even know that the accounts of slave traders. Whenever they got Muslim um, enslaved, at when they enslaved Muslim Africans, like they were the hardest to deal with. The hard- and you know what I'm saying. Like as far as this, nah, this this book right here. Mm-hmm. I know I'm bringing up a lot of books, but <laughs> nah, that's that's what we love here, man.
0: Uh, yeah. Servants of Allah. It's about uh, it's a, it's by to deal I think is the last the name of the author, but. One interesting thing that I read in here, <clears throat> I was going through this uh, a couple weeks ago, was one of the first slave revolts in the Americas was in 1522 in Hispaniola. Mm-hmm. And it was led by Wolof uh, uh, Muslims from, from West Africa. Wow. So, And, and it talked about how with, within the first 50 years that Spain uh, had a foothold over here in the New World or whatever, back in them days, they passed like, I think, five separate pieces of legislation ban- like against African Muslims because they were the, the most hard to deal with uh, as far as like the revolts and things like that. Uh, and like no other religion like was specifically targeted like that by Spain in these early years. And it also went back to the Crusades and, and the Moors and everything else. Yeah. Why they had such a uh, an aversion to African uh, Islamic practice and everything, because that was one of their main enemies, you know, like the Moors was conquering Spain for like 700 years. So, and then right after that, 1492 is when they started
1: doing, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. And and so that, I think that says a lot, the fact that they sit, and I mean, I, that's some powerful history right there, but I think that says a lot for them to be singled out as being, you know, hard to, you hard to control you know what I mean um it kind of lets you know that they that w- they didn't lose their self-respect their integrity they didn't lose their will to fight for what they you know believed in not say- and not saying that you know um and I, that's not a knock on any other religion or anybody else's belief. No,
0: because a, a lot of times in a good example like earlier you were talking about how like uh Basically, like the synchronicity between uh, Islam and traditional African religions, and uh, I think, yeah, there's a book. This book right here is called "Islam in Tropical Africa." It's like a old, a bunch of like professors wrote like uh, like little articles, as well. But this one professor named uh, J.S. Trimingham, who Wesley Muhammad cites in his book too. Okay. He says, uh, just as various. Uh, religious strata. Okay, he says Islam came on the scene. There was no feeling that it was incompatible with an African religious outlook. And he talks about this is from a part of the book we're talking about West Africa and how Islam kind of was incorporated and they didn't like throw away old traditions. Mm -hmm. It was mixed in. But like another example uh a lot of books over uh this one slave slave rebellion in Brazil. it's about a Muslim uprising in Bahia, Brazil in 1835. Wow. And it talks about how, even though it was the, the Muslim uh, enslaved Africans that was leading it in Brazil, mm-hmm. and that was the largest urban uh, slave uprising that, t- like, that took place in the city or whatever in the Americas, but it was led by these, uh, they called them Mali's, mm-hmm. uh, which was like mostly, I think, the uh, Yoruba. Uh, okay. There were Muslim Darubas and houses mainly, and uh, but they incorporated all various other ethnic groups who were non-Muslim too into this uprising because even the other ethnic groups they saw the Muslim Africans as uh, a lot of them were literate they spoke Arabic and read Arabic uh, wrote and they uh, they they seen them as as maybe having like uh, some kind of higher connection or something like. Even if they weren't Muslim, they said, "Oh, his his magic might be, you know, that might work. I might have to try that out in this uprising we got." You know what I'm saying? So, like, uh, they were very influential. Even going to uh, to Haiti, one of the main maroon leaders, Mackendall,
2: mm-hmm.
0: he read and write, wrote Arabic. He was a Muslim, wow. and that was before the Haitian Revolution. Wow. Uh, and pe- some people even argue that Bookman, the name Bookman, comes from art uh, being a person of the book because he was from Jamaica originally, or not originally, he was from Africa, but. He was in Jamaica, and uh, people have argued that he got the name Bookman from being a person of the book, being a Muslim. And even though he led a a Voodoo ceremony in Haiti, that just even further shows the synchronicity how you can be, you know, saying Bookman, presumably known to being a man of the book, and also leading this other spiritual tradition.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's dope. That's real dope. Um, and yeah, man, thank you for that, bro. And um, so for those that might not be um tapped in yet uh with the music, you're also an MC. Um, you know, uh, your subject matter is on some real shit. You drop a lot of jewels, you show lyricism. Um, like these days, what inspires your music, man? Like, you know, what inspired you to pick up the band?
0: Uh <clears throat> I mean like my dad was a musician and so I've always been around music. I played piano, played saxophone growing up, I was in little bands and whatnot as a kid. But uh, I got into hip hop more like, as a kid too, but the type of hip hop I was listening to was mainly like, I was the to Tupac, Gangstar, uh, you know what I'm saying, like Boom Bap, uh, like RZA, you know, and uh, things that like, didn't feel like I was listening to a lecture, but like they dropped information and it yeah. was like, like in a in a good in a cool way, you know what I'm saying. So like, I've always been in like boom bap hip hop, uh, like soul sample type, uh, you know, more lyrical hip hop. And that's pretty much what I try to make. Is just like same type of stuff I like to listen to. Like,
1: are you working on anything now?
0: Yeah, I got. Because
1: I heard that yeah. I, I, the Pete Sampras joint, and that's that's dope. And for those who don't know, you can find that on Apple Music, and Spotify.
0: Yeah, and uh. Yeah, I got I got two different projects I'm working on right now. One is with the the same dude that produced that piece. And we got about like uh, four or five songs we're working on. And uh, and what I'm doing with that one, like I said, my dad was a musician back in the day, like in the '70s and shit. So I'm gonna I'm sampling like his old songs to make new songs, which I don't think I've never heard nobody do that before. And sample like their own family members' old stuff to make new stuff. So I'm doing that with that one. And then I got another tape with uh, a dude named Talon that I'm working on, who I've already made a couple different projects with, but uh, yeah, I'll probably release some new stuff within the next month or two.
1: Dope, dope. Um, and so, what you you know, being a fan of music, um, and I didn't know you play instruments, that's dope. Uh, like, are you in the jazz or anything like that as well? Yeah, I like, I like to play the blues a lot. Uh,
0: like, I... I mainly play by ear, but like I was like initially, I did take lessons when I was real young, and then I kind of just started playing on my own and figuring stuff out. So mainly, I play by ear. But yeah, I'm I'm really the I like the blues. I like where the blues are. Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, and that's you know so many different forms of music derived from blues music. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy. And blues music came from from our pain and 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 oppression. You know what I'm saying? And it's like one of the it's the most powerful genres of music there is there's a good book on that uh blues people by amir rocket he talks about also like the how
0: it's like a black genre from like with african roots and everything
2: mm-hmm.
0: how basically every popular music genre in america pretty much comes from uh black people black
1: music. wow and i mean shit, it's true you know what i'm saying uh for those um uh, for one i want to say i definitely appreciate you for coming on i think it was a very informative bill man and uh uh you know i definitely can't wait for the people to see it um for those who are you know want to get tapped in with the music also you know want to uh, find you on social media can you let everybody know um you know where to find them, where to find your music and, and how to find you on social media yeah i'm a i'm on mainly i'm on twitter at a uh... Dab
0: Squad Slank, D-A-B Squad, underscore, Slank. And uh, SoundCloud is just SoundCloud backslash Slank. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, I got I got some stuff on Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, yeah,
1: that's about it. For sure, man. Well, I just want to say I definitely appreciate you for coming on, bro. Yeah, thank you for having me on here, too. I appreciate it. It was a good good conversation. And no doubt, man, no doubt. Um. Uh, so I definitely want to, you know, as Just building the show, man, I'm definitely enjoying, um, uh, you know, meeting new brothers and sisters who are like-minded and, you know, just having these conversations and having the people um, learn from them, you know what I mean? And, you know, not about egos, Just all about liberation of our people because, you know, the first thing that we got to liberate is our minds, you know what I'm saying? So I would definitely have you back on, you know what I'm saying, sometime and, and, you know, just keep the build going young there, and, uh, and again, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. For sure, man. You have a good one, bro. You too. Peace.